Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Court Today replay on C103 morning to you and as we come to the close of uh, July that sunshine and showers theme that seems to very much have been the focus of our summer so far is looking according to Met Aaron like it's going to last into uh, August but the good news is for at least three days of this week we should have some bright uh, spells with even prolonged uh, bursts of uh, sunshine best of the conditions are going to be tomorrow Wednesday Thursday and uh, Friday even though all three days will carry the risk of occasional uh, showers. Heavy showers are likely today and again on Saturday with Met Aaron warning that the rain spells on Saturday could prove to be both persistent and quite heavy and that certainly is good news because Saturday we're right in the middle of the August bank holiday weekend and there's lots of major outdoor events including one on our own doorstep the, the Independence Music Festival in Mitchellstown so festival goers have been warned to pack for all weather conditions for the weekend but to have the hats, the umbrellas and the ponchos at the ready in temperature across the weekend that will climb above 22 degrees which will make it nice and warm despite those persistent rainy showers but today we've got some thundery showers particularly here in the south but that sunshine and showers theme are very much staying with us. A very good morning. You're welcome along to the programme. John Paul taking your calls today 1850 A lot to get through on the programme today and as always we welcome your thoughts and uh, comments. Uh, we will be going live to America today on the programme. We're going to have a chat. Our first chat with Keith Byrne himself. We've been speaking with Keith's dad, Jim, from uh, from Moy, who's been great to keep us updated since this story broke. Almost, almost about three weeks ago now that Keith was first picked up while heading off to work. And of course, the immigration officials in America decided enough was enough and they arrested him. And he was taken away and uh, locked up and he was facing deportation, as we know, last late last Thursday evening. It broke with us on Friday the news came through that Keith had been given temporary release for 30 days and this is going to be a very important period for Keith and his family in America. Can they get everything sorted out in this 30 days for him to continue living in the States? It's been his home for the last 12 years. He's got a wife and he's raising three children in America. And what I think is the real sad part of this story as well is is the fact when we spoke with his wonderful dad at Jim Jim hasn't seen his son Keith since he emigrated to the States 12 years ago because of course being an illegal he hasn't been able to come home uh, and uh, for whatever reason Jim wasn't able to go to the States I know some of the siblings have been travelling over and back but um, he's 
and, and, and I take it when Jim spoke about himself he's talking about his wife and Keith's mother as well so that would be great if this all gets regularised and hopefully it will do because there's so many people fighting on Keith's behalf that hopefully this will all get sorted out and I'm assuming once it's all sorted out the first thing he'll do is book a family holiday home and wouldn't that won't that be terrific won't that be a wonderful reunion but in the meantime it's a long road between now and there for them to get everything sorted out so we will speak with Keith at about 20 past 12 today on the programme. Uh, we're also going to take a look back on Love Island from last night. It was the you either love it or you hate it. It's one or the other. You either watched it or you didn't watch it. For those that did watch it people became absolutely obsessed uh, with it. For those that didn't watch it they just couldn't understand what was going on. Couldn't understand the obsession. So you're either in one camp or the other camp. So we will briefly talk about it today on the programme. Particularly seeing as we have had an Irish winner Greg O'Shea from Limerick who is a rugby player he is a, he's, he has a law degree he's a smart smart gorgeous looking man I have to say a fine specimen of a man but he's a nice guy and he's a good guy and he's proving that good guys can sometimes win you know usually it's always the bad boys have a tendency to shine in, in, the, in a competition like this where Craig is just a, a good guy by God has he been raised well I'll tell you that so much celebration and excitement in Limerick yesterday Anthony Pickford one of our Limerick loyal Limerick listeners has been on already saying well done to Greg it was an amazing win and there's a, a number of people from uh, Limerick saying you know what just a terrific news story for Limerick Melissa said Limerick certainly has been put on the map Limerick might not have an All-Ireland this year but with uh, Greg winning Love Island and the Golf Ryder Cup coming to Adair in, in 2026 Limerick is the place to be and people won't forget it in a hurry so your thoughts on Love Island last night and were you happy with the result 1850 3. Now also on the programme this morning we are going to hear a proposal against the increase in taxation on second hand cars. These are diesel cars and petrol cars. We know the government is trying to push us all towards buying and driving electric uh, cars. So there is a proposal out at the moment. It's a policy document that's been discussed which could see would be announced in the October budget but it would see all second hand cars going up by as much of a thousand euro for diesel cars and petrol cars and we're hearing from one Fine Gael Centre Senator who's arguing against the proposal and saying it, it in particular uh, will be very much a taxation on rural Ireland because of course the argument always has been people in rural Ireland a car isn't a luxury it's a necessity if you're living in a city where you have a lot of public transport then you can see the car as a luxury because you don't have to have it outside your door because if you need to get from A to B there's other ways for you to do it it's not always the case when you live in uh, rural Ireland and can I just stay on the topic of cars because I would be interested to hear how people feel about this this is Kieran Cough, the new green MEP he is saying that older cars should be banned why he wants to improve air quality in uh, Ireland. He met yesterday with representatives from the Environmental Protection Agency and he was discussing recent findings on air pollution in Dublin and how air pollution in Dublin breached EU limits for nitrogen dioxide. Now, high level of nitrogen dioxide, what does that do? Well, it impacts on your health, especially anyone who's suffering with respiratory illnesses, anyone who's got asthma. It also in particular 
particular affects uh, children and older people would be most vulnerable from this nitrogen dioxide. And Kieran Cough, the Green MEP, is saying older cars are a big culprit of air pollution. He says we do not need to take uh, he said we do need to take action now to limit the older and the dirtier vehicles. Now he accepts they might be trucks, they might be buses, they might be diesel cars, they could even be petrol cars. So what he is suggesting and floating at the moment, he says I think if it's over 10 years, and then he did say are 15 or 20, but he did say if it's over 10 years, I think we should be looking at clear air zones, particularly in the densely populated areas in the centre of our towns and cities. So while he's not calling for an outright ban on all cars over 10 years, but what he is suggesting with these clear air zones is that if you are driving a 10 year or older car, you would not be allowed to drive it into the centre of the city. You wouldn't be allowed to drive it into the centre of the town. So you'd be limited where you could drive your car. And the worry, I suppose, I would see was if they introduced a system like that where there was on, there was zones where you could drive your 10 year old car. But as soon as you got to the outskirts of a town, you'd have to park up and walk because you wouldn't be allowed to bring the car, car through. It would be a nightmare if you're trying to go on a long journey, believe me. Um, what I could then see happening is eventually they would ban all 10-year cars. So as soon as your car got to 10 years, it would have to be scrapped. It wouldn't be allowed on the road. In theory, that seems fine. I think everyone accepts we need to improve our air quality and all the indicators are pointing towards electric cars when it comes to air quality. But there's a cost factor here. Not everyone can afford just to scrap their 10-year-old car. There are many 10-year-old cars that are on the on the road and there'll be people listening driving cars that are 10 years or older. They're perfectly safe cars. They're flying through the NCT. Maybe their emissions are a little bit higher. People would like to be buying and driving around in a 2019 car. But if you're driving in a 10-year-old car, it could be out of necessity because you can't afford to buy a new car. And I, I, I couldn't find in any of the arguments that were being forwarded by this Green MEP for banning 10-year-old cars, I couldn't see where he had any suggestion as to how people were going to replace it with cars, newer cars or cars less than 10 years. So I think that's a kind of a fatal flaw in his argument you know, even if they bring in sort of scrappage schemes, they'd want to be really jolly good scrappage schemes to get people to be able to afford a car less than 10 years old. 1850-333-103. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there will be a lot of people will agree that, that this is the way to go. We do need to improve our air quality. Something needs uh, to done needs to be done. And maybe we do need a blunt instrument like this and ban all 10-year-old cars and older on the road. We're also going to be hearing from a local local water adventure company they're discussing the problems they are having uh, uh, accessing insurance cover we've been speaking about this on for the last week or so because of course the last one of the last insurance providers it's a UK company called Leisure Insure announced last week that they're no longer tendering for new business in Ireland they also said that they are anyone who has insurance policies with them will not be able to renew them. I think it's from the end of didn't we hear last week it's from the end of August and now there's the big scramble for those businesses 
at a time when they're at their busiest in the summer months, they're desperately trying to find new insurance companies that will offer them insurance policies. And of course, if they can't find an insurance company in order to take out insurance, then we know what happens. Those businesses will go out of business, which means there'll be job losses and there'll be a huge, huge loss to children as well, because many children will be spending a lot of their summers at various play parks, and going to these adventure, you know, water adventure parks and outdoor parks and uh, pursuit, you know, adventure pursuit uh, companies and all of them simply will close. They will be lost uh, to uh, us. We're hearing from a Green Party councillor who is railing against what he is caused calling calling the destruction of trees and hedgerows and asking the question are people breaking laws under the Wildlife Act the Wildlife Act is in vogue at the moment from the 1st of March to the 31st of August you can't cut hedgerows except in exceptional circumstances and obviously the exceptional circumstances are grounds of health and safety but are they being are the grounds of health and safety being abused have you seen evidence of hedgerows being cut back hedgerows that have had and do have birds nesting and they've been cut back and that for the life of you you can't see what the health and safety reason uh, was. We do know and we'll often hear on this programme of people citing a particular area where under health and safety the hedge row should be cut back and it isn't cut back and yet then we'll hear from somebody else saying you know the area where I live the hedgerows have been decimated and I can't see why only last week somebody was sending in photographs of an area where they live where the hedgerows were really severely cut back and uh, they couldn't see any reason as to why that was happening Uh, so we'll discuss that on the programme and we we welcome your calls and uh, comments throughout the morning on that and uh, there's already a text in. There is, yeah, Patricia, on overgrown hedges. The people that want hedges to grow think they own the land. We must live. We that live in that rural Ireland must live here. And when people say our hedges are dangerous for walkers and cars and heavy lorries, they are the very same people that want forestry in the areas instead. It is simply not uh, right. When we live in rural areas, it is very different and we should be the ones uh, making the decision, not people outside the areas. They are the same people that want lorries to draw the timber for the forestry that they're looking for and they want, they will want the cows and they'll want the lorries drawing the milk, yet they are the ones always complaining. 1850-333-103. We'll also hear from two Charleville brothers who are taking on an amazing cycling challenge and they're doing it to remember their late mother. And then Joe Heffernan will join us after half past 12 today, giving advice uh, if you are living with a loved one who's suffering from depression. How can you help that person? Just to follow up on something we mentioned yesterday, Heidi, one of our listeners, contacted us because she was having a problem in West Cork in that she had a crack in her windscreen and she had contacted Autoglass to get it sorted out and she had problems firstly with online trying to book an appointment and she eventually couldn't and was forced to call them which she did and then they rang her back and they said the next available date that they would be in her area in West Cork would be the 12th or 13th of August and she just thought that was a bit ridiculous it was going to be over two weeks away at that stage she was wondering why this was happening and then lots of people were saying there was other companies she could go to instead when we came off air then we were contacted by somebody in Autoglass who said they'd love to have a chat with Heidi to sort out what was the problem and why was there a delay and I think they thought themselves 
having to wait until the 12th or 13th of August was a, a kind of an excessively long period of time. So, with Heidi's permission, we put them in contact with each other and she's back to us this morning to say that the, the gentleman from Autoglass, very friendly man by the name of Paul, apologised to her on the problems with their website. He said he wasn't aware that there was any problems with booking a slot on the website. And she said from what she could gather, having spoken to the man, Autoglass Ireland is under new management or new owners. She's not uh, can't work out which it is. So there's been a bit of a backlog of work to get through, hence the long uh, wait. And uh, I was just saying, power radio and all that. Um, but it's got, it's getting sorted and, and he was a very pleasant and a nice man uh, to deal with. So good to know that that's got sorted out and hopefully your windscreen will be back and shiny and new and everything will be fine. And many, many happy hours of motoring for you. Let's stay with many happy hours of motoring on this suggestion by a Green MEP to ban, in order to improve air quality in Ireland, we need to look at banning cars 10 years and older. In particular, look at having clear air zones, which would be densely populated areas, the centres of our towns and cities. If you have a car over 10 years, you wouldn't be allowed to drive into the centre of town, for example. Mike says, here we go again. Same rubbish from the Greens. I live in the country. I can't afford a new car. Wish that I could. And someone else says, banning cars over 10 years is absolutely ridiculous. If they focus more on making public transport for counties other than Dublin, they might not have as many people driving and that would help with air pollution. West Cork, for example, once had a railway line. It was open for many, many years. What would be wrong with reopening the West Cork railway line again? A lot of people travel between West Cork and Cork City for work and for pleasure and they would avail of public transport if it was available. This could be something, there could be something similar to the DART If the Green Party had any idea what people want and what would actually work, people can't afford to buy newer cars and it's ridiculous to bring in a ban. It's typical of politicians. They earn plenty of money. Doesn't matter about those who are not earning that much. Yeah, and I have to, the minute I saw this suggestion and why we all want good air quality and we'd love, because it's in Dublin, they've particularly breached the limits of nitrogen dioxide and we'd love all our Dublin brothers and sisters to be breathing in nice uh, fresh air in Dublin um, as we have around the rest of the country but we, we you know we know um, I'm, I'm being facetious there now we know air pollution and we know that we want to have air pollution I don't think anybody willingly drives a car that has high emissions I don't think they willingly do it they do it because they can't afford anything else nobody is driving around in a 15, 20 year old car because they want to instead of driving around in a 2019 car they're driving in the older car because they can't afford a brand new 2019 car and that's the, that's the facts uh, of it uh, and you can come up with all the great reasons as to why we need to improve our air quality but if people can't afford to do it they can't afford to do it 1850 let's take a break and we're back uh, hearing about uh, a a Fine Gael senator who is arguing against a proposal that would increase the taxation on second-hand cars. This would be diesel and petrol cars. We're going to be talking about insurance and a company scrambling to get insurance. And of course, we know that festivals and people organising lo- local events are also being caught by this, having a problem trying to access insurance. Or if they do get a quote for insurance, the insurance is too high and we're losing festivals because of it. The biggest one of late is the Oktoberfest in the city that's been that's not going ahead this year and that's uh, because they can't get insurance and there's been a couple of really 
uh, unusual claims have, have gone in at the Oktoberfest. But Dennis in Mayfield is saying, Patricia, if events organisers can't get insurance, it's not their fault. I think they should go ahead without it and let the government cover any claims within reason. But that's not going to happen. It's If you don't have insurance, it won't fall back on the government. It'll fall back on the uh, organisers. 1850-333-103. Now, the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, has been warned that he will face a rural Fine Gael revolt over proposals to increase taxation on second-hand diesel and petrol cars. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard has warned that the Minister will have to carefully consider his position on this. And Senator Tim Lombard joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Now, Tim, just explain what this proposal is. It was contained in the Tax Strategy Group report. Yeah, so the Tax Strategy Group report is basically the precursor to the actual budget. It kind of gives you the insight on what they're thinking. And obviously in motor tax and VRT, they've been looking at this situation. And what the minister is kind of saying, he's almost changing the actual bans regarding emissions and the VRT pertaining to cars. So it's quite possible that imported cars that are going to come into Ireland will have a higher VRT it's unclear whether or not he'll actually look at the actual motor tax on older cars and whether he'll increase that or not. That's something that's not very clear in the report. But this is all based on the precursor that we will have electric cars coming on board. And in the Climate Action Report that was published maybe three months ago, they were proposing that to be 80,000 electric cars per year for the next 10 years. And the industry have now made it very clear that it's going to take time for them to ramp up the actual production of electric cars so they can actually fill the demand. Um, just to give you an example, like something only about 1% of 2018's cars were electric cars, 3% of this year's proposed to be electric cars. So it's going we're to We're way off. Yeah, and like the numbers are like 2,500 electric cars in 2019. I can't see us by 2020 going from 2,500 electric cars to 80,000 electric cars next year. That doesn't make logical sense. And in fairness to the motor trade, they've, like Volkswagen will be a prime example, they have 480 plants worldwide, three are producing electric cars at the moment. It's going to take a period of time, and they're saying four or five years, and they'll be up to full production. But they need to change their systems. It's a completely different car they must build. So what I've been kind of saying to Pascal is that, look, we all believe that we need to have major changes in how we move and how we and how society moves itself. And small cars and electric cars are really a part of the solution. But on the other side, it's going to take a period of time for us to actually reach the potential and reach where we need to go. And what I'm asking him to do is to kind of step back for a year or two to give the industry time to actually get ramped up first, whether it's on electric car charging points, whether it's on the actual production of cars, so we can actually reach that potential. Because when it comes to climate change, we need to take everyone with us. And what I don't want to happen here is have this urban-rural divide of the people who depend on cars, like you and me, will be paying higher car um, tax, while the people who don't depend on cars in urban Ireland can get away by using the loose and the bus. Yeah, in, in urban Ireland, a car can be a luxury, but in rural Ireland, it's a necessity. Absolutely, and like whether you're carting kids to and from wherever or whether you're involved in the agricultural industry and you take cars to ban the mart, it's a part of how you actually do your business. So we just need time. We need a breeder, basically. We need to breed for two or three years while we get the industry to change, the industry to modify, and then when that supply of electric cars are on board, 
then we're going to have what we need, which is that modal change that's important. And in many ways, electric cars are part of the solution, but like transportation when it comes to aviation and um, heavy shipping, we don't have solutions for them yet. But like, we just need time for this to actually bed down. We need time for the industry to respond. We need time for the network to change. And then I believe it's appropriate that the minister might do something on tax. Because you do accept we have to clamp down on emissions from petrol and Absolutely. diesel Absolutely. I think we all believe, we all know we're in a new space. And I think society has changed dramatically in the last 18 years. We produced a climate action report that is going to decarbonise, well, decarbonise Ireland between now and 2050 and also reach our 2030 targets. And electric cars are a major part of that proposal. But in many ways, when we did that report, the one people we didn't talk to was the industry itself. And the industry have made it quite clear that it's going to take them a period of time before they can change their processes. They can't just switch off one line and bring on the next line of cars. Um, to give an example, again, like most car dealers would have a brand of maybe 20 or 30 different kind of, kind of cars. You're on about, there's only one or two electric cars actually out there per brand at the moment. So the industry just needs that little bit of time to respond. And society needs it as well because your average electric car is quite expensive at the moment. Mm. I mm. think it will drop dramatically as soon as the supply comes on board. Like it's quite possible. It's out of the price range though of, of many people at the moment. What did you make of when we've been discussing it here this morning of the Green MEP, uh, Kieran Cuff, uh, suggesting again he's all about trying to improve air quality in Ireland that we should be banning cars. I mean he's talking about clean air zones where you'd ban 10 cars 10 years and over ban them from the centres of towns and cities. Yeah and I think it's quite unfortunate Kieran Cuff's going to put down that line. Um, I think in many ways the changes that the Green, and I'm not being political now, but in 2008-2009 they changed the actual VRT and cars from petrol to diesel. We all moved from our petrol cars to diesel cars because thought to be more um, environmentally friendly. They actually were the air. They actually were a major issue on air pollution. So that was a Green proposal that they proposed at the time. And I think to come back now and to ban cars from city centres isn't the appropriate step forward. What we need to do is to try and take people with us. I think a divisive approach isn't really the important way here. It's about trying to include everyone in this conversation. And what we probably need to be looking at, instead of banning cars, make public transport more affordable, make it more accessible. Yeah, but I saw I saw you recently, I'm sure it was you, you were critical of the cost of bus fares, oh, especially gotcha. for people travelling in West Cork. Oh yeah, like if you get a bus from Skibreen or further west to Cork City, phenomenal like you could be paying up and up to 38 euros return that's crazy and well if you go closer to the city let's say the Ballincollig to Carrig line run is a 2 euro uh, return so it's like they're the major challenges that we have could imagine if we had a constituent that was in Caroline and Ballincollig and he could travel into Cork City for two euros, but another constituent that you have down Skibbereen could hit 38, 38, 50 Huge return. difference, yeah. It's Huge phenomenal. Difference. It's actually unaffordable. It's very hard for anyone to live down in Skibbereen and to work up and down from Cork and to pay that kind of money. You actually physically couldn't do it. Yeah, and of course, whenever we discuss anything to do with you know, tr- cars and getting cars off roads and, and public transport, somebody inevitably will will, will 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 mention the West Cork railway line that was there and was so successful. And we constantly get calls to say, 
we should that should be reopened. And it never it, should have closed. And if anything of short vision like that was an amazing in the sixties, I think that we actually did do away with that. Obviously we reopened part of it down to Middleton on the other side of the city back in the early two thousands. But the lack of that connectivity is a big issue. And that's why unfortunately we're so dependent on cars because we haven't got that actual bus network. We haven't got any rail at all. And if we were to go down this line of having a major increase in, in motor tax, unfortunately we just alienate our own kind of you know, rural Ireland individuals who need that bit of support. Because if we are to survive out here, we need that broadband, we need to have services, but we also need connectivity. And that's a real important part of it. And affordable connectivity in West Cork, unfortunately, isn't there, whether it's by bus. And if they increase the car tax by car, it's going to make it more for, more unaffordable to live in parts of West Cork. Okay, somebody's talking about congestion charges, uh, what they do in London. They charge people driving cars over four years old uh, in London. That's on top of the congestion charge. Oh, I didn't realise that. Uh, so obviously for the very same reason to try to improve the air but quality. London has a unique, and we've all been there, and yeah. it's a unique transport mode they have underground, they have bus, they have tram. Yeah, you don't need your car. Yeah, you'd want like, to be a lunatic to bring your car into, into the middle of London. Like, and yeah. that's, what, that's why they have congestion charges. As you know, Boris will tell you, it's, like, to try and get, it's to try and get rid of cars. It is apples and oranges. There's no comparison. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Um, Tim, thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks. Bye bye. Thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Senator Tim uh, Lambert, uh, who I reckon is right. There would be a revolt by all rural TDs if there was to be any tinkering, particularly with the motor taxation, because I think a person, when a person buys a car, you buy a car and a number, if you're on, on a very strict budget, you'll buy a car knowing what you're going to pay on your motor tax. You might be keep planning on keeping that car for 10 years and you know what, what the motor tax is going to be the day you purchase the car whether it's a new car or whether it's a second hand car I think it would be most unfair for the Minister for Finance to step in and say okay we're going to change it now and what you were used to paying is suddenly going to be a new band and you're going to pay extra I think that would be very very unfair uh, whatever about the vehicle registration tax if they start to tinker with that that's when you go to buy a car you'll know then that you're going to have to factor in more but I think on road tax people purchase the cars not everybody but a lot of people purchase a car based on how much that car is going to cost them. 1850 John Paul is taking your calls. Phone lines, by the way, have been busy today, so don't forget you can always text or WhatsApp 0862 103103 103, and you can email Patricia at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, last week we heard a call from the Minister with Responsibility for Insurance, that's uh, Michael Darcy, uh, to Irish-based insurers to step in to offer cover to the leisure and tourism market following the news that one of the last insurers, the UK operator Leisure Insure, no longer is quoting for new businesses in Ireland and ceasing all renewals in the coming weeks. Jerry Smith uh, runs Aqua Venture in Baltimore and he joins me to discuss how his uh, company is affected by all of this. Good morning to you, Jerry. 
Morning, Patricia. Uh, yeah, I'm very well and you're welcome. Okay, what's your current situation? Are you also covered by Leisure Insure? No, we weren't. We were covered by a company called Dive Master that specifically caters for dive centres. And what's happened? Are you due a renewal? Uh, we were. They've sort of withdrawn from the Irish market, but the broker that we had shopped around fairly well and managed to get his cover with a different syndicate. And why did Dive Master say they were pulling out? They're an English company, are they? They are, yeah. yeah. Why did they say they were pulling out? They, we never really get the full story. Um, we've had all sorts of uh, claims or sort of um, reasons have been told. One was, oh, there's a lot of compensation and uh, claim, um, payouts in Ireland. Uh, Brexit has been cited, and there's only yesterday someone actually um, was ringing me on something different, but from a company um, who may be stepping in uh, to Ireland, that said, "Oh, but you know these pro- these um, policies are non-profitable." So you know, the underwriters are saying if they can't make money in Ireland, then they won't put their money here. Have you seen prem- your premiums increase in recent years? Uh, certainly, year on year, there's, there's never been a decrease and very rarely does it it hold steady. Uh, but this year, there was a 20% hike. Wow, that's 20%. Is, is, have you had many claims? No, never. See, this so is what I... one or two people try it on, but once yeah. you start standing up to them, they back away very quickly. This is what I'm hearing time and time again. I'm hearing people are paying more for their premiums and yet I'm hearing... We don't have any claims, or if we did have a claim, we fought it. We didn't, there wasn't a payout, or there was a very small payout. It, it's just not making sense to me, yet, yet all you guys are paying premiums. Somebody somewhere is making money. Well, you'd, you'd have thought so, but I think once in a while there is a huge payout, and obviously the tourism, in tourism uh, insurers and syndicates don't like that. And then everybody suffers. And everybody suffers. Oh, you can guarantee they never lose money, and neither do all the solicitors that are representing you know both sides on this. They always get paid. Of course, of course. Uh, what, just talk to me a little bit about your company, um, Aqua Venture. What activities you? you Aqua Venture. We're mainly dive. a dive a dive centre, so okay. we have a shop, a couple of boats. Uh, we all we offer tuition uh, for diving and snorkeling. We have actually diversified into whale watching tours because the, the market for diving uh, dried up a long, long time ago, in 2008, uh, when the recession was on. What, the, the, why is it seen as an expensive hobby? To a certain extent, yes. You know, People see that they have to buy probably €1,500 Euro of equipment. Okay. But that lasts 10 years. Yeah. And if you look after it, you, know, you can continue diving on it for a long, long time. Uh, but the initial outway, outlay, yes, can be seen as uh, sort of expensive now, that's not to say that you know, if you want to do it intermittently, you just hire. And we've always said if, if you're diving less than 10 times a year, hire, don't buy. Mm. Because then you can dive anywhere in the world. And is, is, is Cork particularly good for diving? Certainly the south coast has a, a good number of wrecks, which are always popular with divers. Um, uh, and generally the visibility is, is good as well. And a lot of tourists, I imagine, would... You, you would attract tourists from outside well, the area? You know, certainly the, the marine tourism in Ireland has always been very good and that's what um, people like. There's a the wonderful place to come and visit. Um, and you know what the Irish are like, Patricia? You yeah. know, they really give a good welcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But do you live in dread, Jerry, that somebody might put in uh, a claim and in particularly a, a spurious claim? Is that, a big, is that something you worry about? 
we had one which we thought was spurious, um, and we fought it, and eventually the guy backed down. But it was pretty obvious that it was, and no one actually turned around and said, that's a fraudulent claim. Yeah. And a lot of the time, people don't back down, and the, the, the insurance pop, you know, step in and will make a payment. You know, sometimes in total disregard of the people who have the insurance, they will still make a payment in order to make it go away. We need to start calling out these fraudulent claims and they need to be prosecuted. Well, it was interesting to hear you know, a guard actually say on, on the radio that, you know, exaggerating a claim, there's no such thing as an exaggerated claim. If you exaggerate something, that's fraud. Yeah, absolutely. 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 But it needs to be called out and, uh, and people need to be uh, penalised for it. And and then it will act as a deterrent to others. But at the moment, people, I oh, shall chance my arm. What's what's the worst that can happen? I'll walk away from court with nothing. That's the very well, worst that can happen. That's very true. I, I have no objection to people who with, with bona fide claims yeah. making um, making um, a, 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 a claim against the, the genuine insurance. But it, there seems to be so many that are not genuine, mm. and no one seems to be addressing the problem. Can you see Irish-based insurers stepping in, as was suggested by Minister Darcy last week? Well, I don't think, you know, when you, when you try and find out who's offering this insurance, I don't think there are Irish-based insurers. Practically all of the syndicates are Lloyd's-based. So they're, oh. they're just not here? They're not here. You know, the, the, the market, for, you know, even for dive centres, there's only, what, seven, seven or eight of us left. Uh, the, the, the market just isn't big enough. And therefore, you know, you have to shop elsewhere. And we're mandated to go with Irish brokers who, who I must admit, do a fair, fair job at finding us stuff. But they're, they're just, their hands are tied. Yeah. There's a very few people offering this stuff because they don't want to be in the market. So that why that's one argument and that's one uh, battle that will continue, certainly for the foreseeable future. We also need to try to stop this compensation culture that exists in this country. We'd all love that, Patricia. But yeah, yeah. It needs legislation, or at least um, an understanding in the courts that you know, just because someone has a limit on each claim of five thousand or ten thousand, whatever, doesn't mean you have to award that. Mm, absolutely. Okay. So, are you busy, Jerry, this time of the year? It is. We have great whale watching going on at the moment. Great. Uh, lots of stuff off the the, the island too. Which so we're, we're enjoying taking people out. I've seen some fantastic photographs up on Facebook. There's a lot of whales to be seen, isn't there, off the coast? There are. It's surprising, you know, once you start looking, they're there. It's just the time you have to spend driving around on the, on the ocean trying to find them. I know. They don't just hang out in one place. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, you're, you're good at what you do, though. Listen, can continue uh, continue the great work um, with Aqua um, Venture in Baltimore, Jerry, and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Okay. Good Thank morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Uh, Jerry Smith there. I can see a lot of commentary coming in, particularly on the 10-year-old cars. People very, very annoyed about the notion that anyone would suggest that there would be a ban on 10-year-old cars, even if it was just a ban that you wouldn't be allowed to drive them into the centre of town or into the centre of the city in order to protect densely populated areas from air pollution. Uh, people fuming about it. We'll get to those 
cause and comments. Also in the next hour we are going to be talking about Love Island and how Limerick reacted to their win on Love Island uh, last night and also the cutting of trees and hedgerows. We're hearing from one Green Party councillor who claims that there is just utter destruction of some of our hedgerows. Martina O'Donoghue Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The public have been watching your every move. We've laughed with you, we've cried with you, but most of all, we've fallen in love with you. And now it's time to reveal the winning couple. The winners of Love Island 2019 are... Greg and And there you go, the announcement last night that an Irish contestant was one of the winners for the first time ever on Love Island. Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent watched the final episode in a nightclub in Limerick last night and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. Are you feeling a bit tired today? Uh, tired it was definitely way past my bedtime <laughs> and um, the, the sad part about it actually is that it comes I think we always think we're young at heart but when I walked into the nightclub last night with a photographer I think most of the young women there thought we were probably escapees from a nursing home <laughs> Now were you a fan of the programme before entering the nightclub last night? Uh, to be brutally honest with you Patricia <laughs> no I wasn't in fact I was so ignorant I didn't even realise the final was on yesterday <laughs> until, my, until my new I, I was vaguely aware of the fact that that girl Maura from, from Longford simply because of the coverage in the newspapers yeah. I had seen stories about her so I, I did know that she was in the final stages of it but it wasn't until my news editor rang me yesterday and decided that um, he thought it would be a good idea if we had someone in Limerick we had a, a reporter in Longford in case Maura ended up being one of the winners so he decided it would be wise to have someone in, in Limerick but um, <laughs> I, I had to have a crash course uh, thankfully one of our eager beavers on the um, on our independent our website He's an avid fan of it, so she took about four minutes to give me a crash course in <laughs> Love Island. Brought you up. To... What the background um, was. Anyone in the family watching it? Uh, no, in actual, in, in my family there was. I actually have a 24-year-old daughter. I have an almost 21-year-old daughter and yeah. I have a 19-year-old son. And the two girls are avid fans of it. I suspect the son is watching it as well, but he won't publicly admit to it. But um, they were all kind of, I mean, my middle girl was hugely into um, this lad, Greg O'Shea, that he would win it because she thought he came across as a very, very nice guy. And it's interesting because in the nightclub last night, and I spoke to you know dozens of young women, it was overwhelmingly um, female attendance in the 101 club on O'Connell Street. And there really was a sense of occasion. I was taken aback because I think sometimes if we're not into things ourselves, we can be a little bit surprised at just how popular um, certain things are. And Love Island, I mean, our website, we're getting up to a million hits mm. a day in terms of any major Love Island story. And when you went to the thing last night, there was an incredible sense of occasion. There was Love Island parties in the Black Rabbit pub in Limerick. There was a Love Island party in 101, which seemed to be the main one. And what really came across talking to the young women there was that they felt Greg, that this Limerick or Shannon rugby player, that he was a great reflection of Irish guys in that he was polite. Absolutely. Absolutely, nice. it was the one, and I mean, he's intelligent. He's he's got yeah. a, a, a law degree, but unlikely now that he'll go on to 
work as a lawyer. Oh, I think there's a, there's an absolutely glittering career for him uh, in the media. And in fact, I was even taken aback because one of the girls I was interviewing there last night, um, she uh, basically described herself as a social media influencer, which I was intrigued by. And the point she was making was that on Love Island, again, I've not seen it, so I can only go by other people's descriptions, but she made the point that over recent years, the, the whole Love Island depiction of the male was almost like the toxic bad boy. Mm. The kind of the, the bad boys were the ones that kind of got the headlines and stuff. And she said it was very welcome to see a nice fella be appreciated for manners, for being polite. And it was a very funny scene last night as um, the, when, when it was announced that Greg and Amber Gill, the girl from Newcastle, that was his on-show partner that they had won. There was a huge cheer in the nightclub. But what, what I hadn't realised was that there was this other option whereby there were two envelopes and each was asked to pick one. And whoever got the envelope with the €50,000 top prize actually had the option to keep it themselves. They didn't have to share it. And there was this momentary pause when Greg O'Shea got the envelope and he was asked, what was he going to do with it? And almost instantly, he said, of course, I'm going to share it. Mm. And it was this male voice <laughs> drowned out a sea of female cheers when this male voice in the very, very back of the room shouted out, good man, Greg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very much been seen as the victory for the nice guy. I think so. And I think it's, you know, in fairness to Greg O'Shea, I think he's he's reflected a lot of the best of Irish culture that, you know, polite, you know, intelligent, considerate, mannerly. I mean, these are things that you love to see your country spoken about. And I think, you know, it, it's hard to credit the good that something like that can do for a country. But certainly he's reflected very, very well in Ireland. And, and people in Limerick are very, very proud of him and his family have basically said that he has been true to himself, that that's the kind of guy he is. And I think a lot of people also respect the fact that he suffered a very, very severe injury. I think he snapped his Achilles tendon um, as a younger man and fought back from that. Of course, that's an, that's a, a, an injury that has any, ended many sporting careers, but that he had the courage and the tenacity to bounce back from that and you know to get through the Munster Academy and to actually earn a place then on the Ireland Rugby Sevens side. So I would think certainly, I mean, law and sport, is obviously in his DNA, but I would think that the opportunities that are going to come his way now, particularly in terms of the social media scene, mm. are going to be quite enormous. And I mean, the level of interest in it, for instance, I mean, I was taken aback last night that one of the people in the 101 Club um, watching avidly as the programme was unfolding was actually Sarah McTurnan, who was Ireland's Eurovision entry earlier yeah. this year. She was there with a number of her friends. So it really, it attracted a significant um, attendance. Yeah, and uh, and of course when Gwen, when when Greg was in there, his his granny died, and he had to. They flew him home for literally twenty four hours and back in again. It was all kept very quiet. It wasn't uh, publicly put on the the TV. Uh, so he was battling that as well. You know, his beloved uh, Nana have, having died. And I know Simon on our breakfast show interviewed his sister the week he went in, and he didn't tell his family he was going in. His sister saw him on the TV and realised that's my brother. That's right. That's I think Laura O'Shea. Yeah. Yeah. She's been very, very well, well well spoken about him and about kind of the interest. It's interesting in that the family have, have been quite private about it. I mean, like I'd say there would have been photographers and camera crews or whatever camped at their house last night had they wanted to go down that road. But they're a very private family. I think they're they're reveling in um, Greg's success but they also want to keep their distance from it. And of course, in Limerick, very, very well-known sporting family because they'd be very involved in Shannon Rugby Football Club. Um, 
uh, Greg's father and grandfather were both very, very involved in the club. And of course, he has a cousin, I think, that's on the, the fringes of the Irish side as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a win for Limerick. Very much so. And I think it, could, it was nicely timed because obviously there's still a lot of disappointment over the hurling results yeah, last yeah. weekend. So it's, it's, uh, it's good for uh, Limerick and it'll certainly give a profile, I think, to the social scene within Limerick. And I'd say in, in terms of Ireland itself, you can be certain sure that there will be Love Island 2020. And I'd be very, very surprised if there were some multiple Irish contestants in it. Well, I mean, you know, we were saying that there'd never been an Irish contestant made it through to the final. And here we are two with Greg yep. and more. Two very different characters, but we had two through to the final, which was terrific. All right, so so we, we may convert you, Ralph. It's, it's back on our screens in, in January. They're going to do a winter one from South Africa. We might get you into it. Yeah, I, I found love on my island a long, long time ago. <laughs> I'll probably stick to matches today. Beautifully put. We'll leave it there, Ralph. Thank you for that. And thanks, thanks for joining for us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, the wonderful Ralph Regal uh, from the Irish Independent who celebrated the win of Love Island with all the good people in uh, Limerick. And once again, congratulations to uh, Greg O'Shea just uh, proving victory for the nice guy. Nice guys can win as well, which is uh, always good. Now, let me go to some of your calls and comments that have been coming into the programme. We've been talking about air pollution and the suggestion from Kieran Cough, the Green MEP, that we should be banning cars over 10 years in order to improve air quality in Ireland. Rob contacted us from, from London to say in London they charge people driving cars over four years if you're going into central London. Greg is, uh, Rob is a disabled driver in London and his car is seven years old. So he pays the congestion charge and then he's to pay an additional four charge for the car being four years uh, old and that seems a bit unfair because as a disabled driver wouldn't you, I, I didn't think disabled drivers were charged those charges as well but obviously they are anyway uh, Rob says that when he, he comes back to Cork what he has noticed and he travels over from Cork to London quite a lot he said it's a nightmare for those of us that are in wheelchairs he said for example when I want to go from Mallow to Kilworth or from Mallow to Formoy I end up having to pay for a taxi as the local link services do not have wheelchair facilities why do they not open a train line between Mallow and Formoy it would be huge for tourists if the Green Parties want Green Party you want us to be environmentally friendly why not come up with something like a tram for the North Cork uh, area for example Mallow to Formoy and use some of the old railway lines also we need accessible park and ride schemes outside of our towns Irene from Carrick Tool says great to see the Middleton railway line they're celebrating their 10th birthday aren't the commuter from Middleton to Cork I'm sure they're celebrating today anyway uh, it's great to see the Middleton line doing so well but surely if this line is proving to be so popular with commuters and has grown so much even during the recession why are Irish Rail not exploring opening railway lines in other parts of North Cork West Cork Mid Cork and South Cork all the Greens are on about doing this and that for the environment and uh, wanting us to get rid of cars over 10 years but they need to put alternatives in place i.e. better public transport Uh, Ralph uh, Brenda in Mitchellstown says all the talk about us not using our cars 
encouraging us to use public transport instead and yet we in North Cork don't have adequate public transport. How stupid are our public reps? Can they not see that the public transport isn't available? People would like to use public transport and give up using their cars but they can't if the facilities are not available. Morning, says Dennis from West Cork. Patricia, it's not the 10-year-old cars that are causing the pollution. It's the high-powered cars with twin exhausts. They need to be looked at, says uh, Dennis. Pauline in League says, Hello, the air quality here in West Cork is wonderful. And there are many older cars. Good show. That's from uh, Pauline in League. Thank you, Pauline. Uh, someone else says, I think we'll all be on our bicycles soon. Why? Because we won't be able to afford any of these uh, cars. And Mick says, is that, this is on 10-year-old cars, is that not what the NCT is there for? We check our cars to make sure that they're not high in emissions. The Green Party is no good for anyone that comes in from Mick. And some of your WhatsApps in, Micah says, Patricia, if the government in their wisdom should even think about raising the tax on diesel and our petrol, then they should think again. If it does come to pass, then the only answer is for the good people to drive their cars and trucks into the middle of the city centres, get out of them and simply park them up and leave them out there. Bring these places to a standstill. I can assure you it will be rectified within a couple of hours. As for electric cars, the answer is decarbonise petrol and diesel. We don't need electric cars, thanking you. That's from Michael and says, Hi Patricia, it's ridiculous this suggestion banning cars that are 10 years and older. I can't afford a new car. The government are coming up with the most stupid of ideas. They will have to come up with a way of compensating people like us. We, the people who simply cannot afford to buy a new car. Love to be driving around in a brand new car, says Anne. Simply can't afford it. And a final one says, banning 10-year-old cars. I have a 05 Honda Civic and I simply couldn't afford to buy another car. It's well maintained and it's serviced regularly. All this would do is land more debt on the people of Ireland who are already struggling as it is. And on and on in that similar vein is where we're going with the notion from and it's only a suggestion from the Green MEP to ban vehicles over 10 years to improve air quality in Ireland. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. General Cleaner is required to clean staff, facilities and offices. It's with a food manufacturing site. While a part-time person is wanted for Luna Bella in Mallow, retail experience will be an advantage, although it's not essential. Charleville Plantar, they're looking for drivers. You need to have full Rigid C and Arctic CE licence, please. And industrial plumbers are wanted. That's for work in the Clonakilty area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now, according to the Green Party, health and safety has been used as an excuse to destroy trees and hedgerows across Cork with a call to reassess the current guidelines. Green Party councillor Liam Quaid joins me to outline his concerns. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. Under the Wildlife Act, hedge cutting is banned between 1st of March and August the 31st. So we're right in the middle of that closed uh, season. It is, though, subject to certain exceptions. Do you feel that's been abused on the grounds of health and safety? Is that where you're coming from? 
Well, I, the background to all of this is that the Dáil declared a climate and biodiversity emergency in May uh, following two landmark reports by the UN. And the biodiversity reports highlighted that nature is declining globally at rates unprecedented in human history and that the rate of species extinction is accelerating. And one of the co-authors of that report also said that uh, <clears throat> it's not too late to make a difference, but only if we start now at every level from local to global. Um, so that's kind of the background to this. So the science is telling us very clearly that we need transformational change in how we manage wildlife habitats. And uh, as Antashka, one of our environmental NGOs, has said, that a declaration of an emergency is meaningless without concrete and swift measures. So as well as being uh, very invaluable habitats for uh, wildlife and pollinators, our hedgerows and trees also sequester and store carbon, so they're really important for our climate change mitigation efforts. They're important for flood defences, and they contribute enormously to the natural beauty of our rural landscapes. And data from 17 county hedgerow surveys in Ireland has shown that only one-third of our hedgerows are in a favourable conservation state. Um, over the past year, we have, in, in particular, we've seen an epidemic of tree felling and hedgerow destruction. And this has been having a major impact on wildlife, including endangered species, bird species such as the yellowhammer, linnet and greenfinch. And it's also reducing uh, food for pollinators. So, for instance, the public have looked on in, in, in dismay and shock as unnecessary tree felling took place, uh, carried out by Tipperary and Waterford local councils. In County Offaly, there was a particularly bad example um, carried out by Irish Rail. And I've been contacted by constituents about the destruction of trees and hedgerows in Cloyne. We've also had reports from Carrignavar, Donnerail and Buttevant. Um, and and the tree it, felling, when, when the powers that be are asked, why are you felling those trees? They'll come back and say, it's a health and safety. That's right. And I think one of the problems with this is that uh, landowners are being issued quite ominous notices from the council saying that under the Road Traffic Act, um, they are obliged to cut back trees or hedgerows that may be interfering with uh, road visibility. Yeah. And understandably, a lot of landowners, fearful of being sued, are taking these instructions to their limits. Um, and some of the machinery involved, unfortunately, uh, including objects such as flails, are extremely destructive. So we're seeing, you know, disproportionate um, kind of results from all of that. So, so, so but, but I mean, if a landowner gets a notice, it means somebody must have complained. They've spotted something. Mm. The hedgerows need to be cut back. But are you saying that, that when they go out and do it, they're decimating the hedge instead of just cutting it back? I think in some instances we've certainly seen that. And I think the problem is that the council isn't supporting landowners enough to strike a balance between uh, protecting biodiversity and ensuring road safety. So this motion uh, of mine was a very modest proposal to ensure that any tree felling or hedge cutting carried out by the council or directed by the council would be subject to guidelines and it would involve collaboration between conservation experts and the council and landowners to strike that balance. Um, So it's not about, uh, you know, um, criticising farmers. It's actually about supporting them because at the moment, the only information they're getting um, concerns health and safety. Um, so we need to we need to include integrate into that uh, information about the value of trees and hedgerows, and about the degree of hedge cutting, or the degree of tree surgery that might be warranted in certain instances. And are um, you are you Liam? Are you hearing of landowners cutting back hedgerows during this closed season? Are you aware of that happening? It it, it is happening. I mean, I've seen it myself. Um, so, you know, there's many, if, if, on social media, there's been a pretty endless stream um, over the last year of 
um, disproportionate hedge cutting and, and uh, tree cutting, but also within within the um, the, the season, the, the pro- prohibited periods, we have seen it as well. Yeah, and, um, and I know we certainly get similar calls here. So, so yesterday I sort of just did a quick look online to see could I find people prosecuted for it. Now, I found a case of two men in Carlo who were found mm. at a local Carlo mm. court for four offences under under the Wildlife Act for hedge mm. cutting out of season. But I can't find many other cases. Are, pe- are people just simply getting away with it and then they feel, shouldn't, we're not going to get prosecuted, we might as well cut back the hedges? I, th- I think there's an element to that. I mean, I think the legislation isn't strong enough and the enforcement of the legislation can be quite poor. Um, but I think this is also about working collaboratively with landowners and uh, I, I think allaying some of their concerns about, you know, the risk of being sued and, you know, with such a a kind of a, a high level of consciousness about that at the moment, I think. Um, so I, I guess this motion is not about driving a division between landowners and environmentalists. It's about bringing them together. And is it um, also about educating people? I mean, is there a case that some people are unaware of the importance of our hedgerows when it comes to biodiversity? I, I, I think so, yeah. And I, I think the learning on this, you know, doesn't doesn't end for any of us. Um, and, you know, I think we're... we're any any kind of discussion about this has to recognise that we are in the context of a very serious uh, biodiversity and uh, climate emergency. So, you know, any any of our decisions have to kind of flow from that reality. And it's not about compromising health and safety, but I think anyone can see that some of the, the, the hitch cutting and some of the tree felling that's happened really goes way beyond any safety concerns. Okay, Kevin in Skibbereen uh, says this is lives in a in a rural area. He says no two cars can pass on the road near where I live. Wildlife is dying more so now than ever before, as many of the cars have to go closer to the ditch as a result of the overgrown hedgerows. Cars have to go into the ditch to pass each other. I have an older car, but I could never afford at this stage to upgrade. Oh, that's that's Kieran Coff's thing on on the ten year old car. But but if you have, I I, I can almost picture what Kevin is talking about, a road that's quite narrow with the hedgerows on either side growing, growing out. I mean mm. is it off season we need to be working on those hedgerows so that when it comes to the growing season they don't end up in a situation like that? Yeah absolutely and again it's about striking a balance you know I, I think what we what many of us have seen is uh, on certain roads, on certain bends or junctions you know um, or where sight lines are kind of um, compromised you know, where there is some hedge cutting warranted, we've seen the hedge kind of cut to it in an inch of its life. So it's about having some degree of kind of proportionality with that. Um, but there certainly are cases, um, possibly including uh, the one you just mentioned, where, you know, um, hedge cutting is, is warranted. So it's not about denying that. It's just about striking that balance. It's getting the balance. What reaction did you get from other councillors when you raised the issue at, at council level? Um, it was quite disappointing, actually, in general. I, it was met with uh, quite very strong uh, opposition from pretty much all of the uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and independent councillors who spoke, or the vast majority of them. Um, one notable exception was the Lord Mayor, Christopher O'Sullivan, um, who at the outset of his term emphasised that he was going to put uh, environmental issues at the centre um, of, of his programme as mayor, and he very much followed through on that, and he he gave full support to the motion. 
Um, and I think that actually rescued the motion from, from being kind of um, cast aside completely. So and, and Christopher I, would know West Cork really well, so he would drive in some ver- on some very rural roads and, and would know the condition of hedgerows in his area. And he's also uh, a bird watcher and, you know, an environmentalist. So he has, you know, real credibility in this area. So um, the, the outcome then was that the motion would be referred to our environment and road safety, kind of road transport committees, and jointly discuss there um, in autumn. And we'll wait and see what comes back um, from that. Uh, and Liam, I, I don't know if you heard us talking earlier about Kieran Cough, your party colleague, the Green MEP, wanting to ban 10-year-old cars. Well, clean air zones is what he's talking about to improve air quality. I have mm. to say it's going down like a lead balloon with our listeners who are making the point. Nobody wants to be driving a 10-year-old plus car, but people can't afford to change their yeah. cars. Yeah, I have to say I haven't heard that proposal so far and I would want to hear exactly what what it was just to, to comment on it. Um, air quality is, is a major issue, I think, you know, and that was highlighted by a recent EPA report in Dublin um, and it's something that I'm planning to to kind of um, highlight in Cork County Council as well because we have a real lack of air quality monitoring stations um, in, in Cork County, including around schools where there's a lot of congestion. Um, but I think any measures that we have involving kind of transition to a green economy will have to um, absolutely factor in, um, you know, income inequality and social justice. So I would want to hear exactly what the proposal was before I would comment further. Okay. But um, I, w- I would expect it wasn't a cruise kind of ban, but I'd, I'd have to... No, I mean, he's, he's talking about having clear air zones in, in particularly in densely populated uh, areas in the centre of towns and cities. But okay. uh, the thought pattern is that if that got introduced, it could it one day lead to no one would be allowed to drive ca- cars over 10 years. I think that's the, the worry. OK, we leave it okay. there, Liam. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is bye bye uh, Green Party County Councillor Liam uh, Quaid. Somebody says this is on hedge cutting. What about the poor fella that comes around a bad country road corner where the hedge is well and truly overgrown and then hits a cyclist or a person walking because of the law, just because because of this law, just because the driver can't see what's coming around the corner. It is madness where hedges are overgrown regardless of if it's in the closed season or not, they need to be cut back. And Chris, oh, this is Chris uh, Kipper O'Donovan, who we spoke with only last week uh, from the wheelie boat. Uh, Chris says, Patricia, I'd like to know what the Green Party have to say regarding east and south of Formoy Bridge and its habitat. I've lived to see a complete habitat destroyed especially around the town of Formoy. The habitat was full of damsel and dragonfly. There is banks exposed now after 200 years or more. We can see foxes and other waterborne creatures eating juvenile and adult pearl mussels. We all know they eat them as part of their diet but they have to dive and swim to consume these protected species. I know the age per se and there are thousands of medium sized shells aged approximately 50 years. It's not a good reflection on the Green Party going on about hedge rows when there's an unseen habitat that literally is being destroyed before our eyes and I'm assuming that all leads back uh, to the destruction of the weir in Formoy. 
1850 John Paul taking your calls. Text to WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Can I just give a shout out to this? The Gardaí and Mitchellstown have been on to us. They're warning the business community to be on the alert for fake bank notes. They are €10 and €20 bank notes. Now they're actually marked movie money but they could be easy to miss um, and they were in circulation in the town yesterday so can you keep a look out for that please fake 10 and 20 euro notes but they're, they're clearly marked uh, movie money but I suppose if you're in a very busy shop and you've got notes put in together you may actually miss it so keep a look out please now Charleville natives brothers Declan and Pat O'Hara are to undertake one of the oldest cycling events in the world Paris to Brest and back again. The event gets underway on the 18th of August and joining me to explain why they've decided to undertake this challenge, uh, Declan O'Hara, who is the Managing Director of McElligates in Tralee. Good morning to you, Declan. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, it's a 1,200 kilometre, is, I, I'm slow to say race, is it a race? Um, it is a race because there's a time limit. Um, there's a time limit of 90 hours uh, to complete it. Um, now, we we won't be racing it. Our race will be to complete the event within the 90 hours, but there will be professional cyclists that will take off about a day before we do that actually race it, and they'll compete it in under 70 hours. Good God. <laughs> Good God. OK, now, you had to qualify to take part. Yes. Talk to me about what you've had to do to get to this stage. So our qualification started really on um, January of last year, and you have to participate in, in what they call an SR series. So these are organised events that are held all over the world uh, where you ride a 200-kilometre event, 300-kilometre, a 400 and a 600. Um, now, for last year, that just gives you what they call a pre-entry, and you have to repeat that process again this year in order to get your final entry. And these are unsupported rides, so you literally go out, follow a very specific route, uh, for 600 kilometres and again you have a time limit on completing that. And where did you do some of those cycles? Uh, we did all of our events in Ireland. Oh great. Um, so we we did all the beautiful Irish weather to contend with <laughs> and the fabulous roads that we have. Um, so b- basically everywhere. Uh, one was in Cork. Uh, we'd won in Northern Ireland um, and our 600 was actually out of Dublin um, in May of this year. And how long um, did that take you? Uh, it took us um, about uh, just under two days um, and that was a non-stop ride. We, we went from Dublin almost down to Limerick, uh, up the West Coast, ended up in Cavan and back down to Dublin again. Did, so, did, but did you get out? Did you have a sleep along the way? Um, you uh, you do have to get some element of sleep, but you have control points along the route that you have to touch, and you have time limits on those controls as well. So you can't really stop for six or seven hours and sleep. So your sleep is normally got at a food stop or where you're eating or something. You'll catch fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, and um, your longer sleeps are. Um, you're looking for suitable places to go. In On our 600, would you believe, we slept in a stand in a GA pitch uh, near Roscommon. Um, so you're carrying 
uh, emergency blankets, you know, like foil blankets, um, special protective clothing, and you're literally grabbing, you know, maybe two hours sleep. Uh, so, so you're not allowed to check into a five-star hotel and get a, get, get <laughs> no. a decent night's sleep? No, that's against the rules. God, it's a real endurance, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. I, I think the Irish events were probably the most difficult because we had to contend with some really bad weather and we had to contend with some very cold temperatures. Um, and some amusing situations which will arise where you pass through uh, towns and villages at maybe two or three o'clock in the morning and you meet some people on the road, you know. <laughs> and they're wondering what are these two lunatics uh, doing at this hour of the morning. Absolutely. And, and this, this whole notion of um, totally unsupported. So that means you have to bring... Well, you don't need a lot of clothes because you've only got a couple of days, except you're, you're, co- you're coping with all the different weathers. You have to bring all your food, do you? Uh, you don't need to bring all your food because um, Ireland is so fantastic to get food now. Okay. Um, you know, nearly any filling station has a decent deli in it. Great. Um, so food-wise, you are carrying food with you because you're eating constantly or burning so many calories. Um, but you are carrying a breakdown. So if you break down, if you have a problem with the bike... Uh, to repair it so you are carrying spares you're carrying tools a lot more than you would on you know a, a small cycle like, yeah. yeah so puncture repair kits yes spare tyre tubes chain <laughs> you name it and have you had to use all of the said spare parts at some stage we have um, yes. on our 400 this year we were up uh, near Cross McGlen and my brother's bike um, had a very serious mechanical, a bearing went in it, which was unrepairable. And if, if you need to go to a bike shop and you leave the route, you have to rejoin the route exactly where you left it. Okay. Um, but uh, we were fortunate enough to know somebody up there and we borrowed a bike and uh, he ended up riding the remainder of that cycle on the loan of a bike, which, which is allowed. What, um, and talk to me about the type of bikes that you use. So we're not using lightweight racing bikes like you would see on the Tour de France or that you'd you'd meet on the road every Sunday. Uh, We're using steel bikes uh, for two reasons. One, they're more comfortable, uh, particularly on bad roads. But two, they're able to carry more weight. Um, So carbon bikes wouldn't be great for carrying uh, a lot of luggage. So um, because we're carrying spares and food and clothes and stuff. uh, And and blankets. And so, so anywhere you can get your head down along the way. Yep. That's that's school, what you do. School playgrounds, Patricia, are fantastic. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the shed that we all um, that we all used to run into when it rained. Yeah. Uh, you'll find the wind doesn't blow into those oh, sheds. Bless. They're excellent. <laughs> and hay barns. We're familiar with hay barns as well. But going the Paris Brest Paris. I mean, you'll have better weather at least, won't you? In you, you would like to think. Yeah, the weather is actually a concern at the minute because it's gone the other way. um, So uh, temperatures are exceptionally high. Uh, So we're hoping it's cooled a little bit this week. So we're hoping that by the 18th, uh, it'll be more normal. Um, So, yeah, road conditions and weather in France should be um, should be in our favour in comparison to what we're used to. Yeah, because I mean, last week was Paris was at 42 degrees. You you couldn't, you just couldn't have cycled in that. No, it would be a big problem. For for everyone, not not just for you. Now, the obvious question, why go for such uh, a difficult challenge? And there's a nice tie in here to your late mother. Yeah, um, look, I suppose like my mum or our our mother died um, of cancer um, 30 years ago, uh, almost to the date. She died in August, um, so it's very fitting that the event is in August. And um, really, over the last probably 10 or 15 years, we've done quite a lot of cycling for uh, various different cancer charities. 
And my brother came up with this idea of doing Paris, Press Paris, and that it would be an exceptional um, achievement to compete it, but uh, also one to, you know, I suppose in in memory of our mother. um, And then there's this incredible opportunity to raise some money as well. And you're doing it for breakthrough cancer research because your mum died from cancer. Uh, Yeah, and... um, Look, you know, there's some fantastic charities out there. Um, you know, we, we come across them every day of the week. But the reason we picked Breakthrough is uh, the cancer that my mother died of, um, you most likely wouldn't die of that cancer today. And that's due to the groundbreaking um, yeah. research that, they, that these guys do, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think it's, you know, the sort of the incurable cancers at the minute, you know, the ones that we hear about every day of the week, uh, these are the ones that we need to find cures for. And I think they do great work. So They do. They yep. do. They're, they're incredible. Will Pat be bringing a camera with him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you get time to stop and take um, in the scenery and yeah Paris Press Paris is is sort of the the world cup of these type of events um you you'll have people from all over the world literally every country in the world will be represented and the french love cycling like we love hurling and football mm. and their support um on the event is incredible uh, throughout the night, uh, you'll have people lining the route. You'll have people out with coffee, and oh. um, apparently they're very good at, at cooking cookies and and bringing homemade food out to the side of the road to support the cycle. So, isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, so it's, because it's it, it's a historical race. In that, did I see eighteen ninety one was the first year of it? Yeah, it's the oldest cycle race in the world. So it's it's older than the Tour de France. But, and they limit the numbers, obviously. That's why there's a qualification aspect to it. They do. There's two reasons for that. One, they probably couldn't handle more than 6,500 riders. Yeah. But two, is they want to be certain that you have um, some level of competency that you can you can at least attempt yeah. uh, the event. That's why they make you do the two, yeah. the 300, 400, and yeah. six, twice, not yeah. just at once. What do you believe is going to be the toughest part of the journey, Declan? Um, I think the mental aspect of it... Um, you know, um, when when you head out, they say in cycling terms that if you can cycle 100 kilometres, you can cycle 200 kilometres. The furthest we've ever gone is 600. Um, so we need to do double um, the longest distance we've ever gone. And I think mentally um, trying to have it in your head, you know, when you're two, three, four hundred kilometres into this event and know that, you know, you have another, um, you know, 400, 500, 600 to go. I think that's going to be the toughest challenge. Does it help that you're cycling alongside your brother? Um, in the terms of 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 Audex riding, which is what this is, um, Audex riders very much so ride alone. It's it's a very selfish sport insofar as um, you've so much to contend with um, that they advise you to ride on your own. So some people are actually telling us it's going to be a bigger challenge for us to ride together. Um, and even uh, we're going to sit down this Saturday and enter into an agreement as to whether if one of us is unable to um, to go forward, what are we going to do? Oh. Um, oh. And that's something we're going to have to discuss, I suppose, when we're not tired and we're not hungry in, yeah. the, in the coming days. That would be know. a tough decision. It it will be. Um, and like, as I said, it's, it's, it's very much so a sole rider sport. It's very difficult to ride with somebody for that length of time. You know, people have highs and lows throughout 
that length of time and your ability to, you know, to pedal at a specific speed can go up and down as well. But on um, the, the the longest one you've done, the six hundred, did you did you both stay at the same general pace? And yeah, we, up, yeah, yeah, we've we've never uh, we've never not ridden together throughout the qualification process. Okay. We've always crossed the finish line together. Okay, and we've never had an argument. Can you believe? We'll that? stay. We'll stay with that thought, and that's that's the way you'll be uh, going forward. Yeah, and obviously this is much more than you. I mean, you you're extremely fit. Obviously, the pair of you. But this is much more than fitness, about fitness. Yeah, like I think the, there's so much at stake here. Um, we we were at a meeting a couple of weeks ago and the mental aspect of it um, appears to be the, the, the biggest thing and even down to, as I speak to you, I have one of my lights on my desk here and it's switched on since 8 o'clock th- this morning with a timer on it to see how long it can stay going for and... Uh, guys have given us advice and said the smallest little thing can um, really upset you and provide you know make you very anxious on mm. the road and not knowing where something is packed in your bag, not knowing how long your light is going to stay yeah, lit yeah. for. Um, so I think the mental aspect of it, I suffer very bad from from sleep deprivation. Um, I've hallucinated on one of the 600k events where I saw dogs on the road that didn't exist at all. My God. Um, and I, I need to get little 15-minute naps. My brother Pat doesn't. He's able to ride through the night uh, and stay wide awake. I can actually fall asleep riding the bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not 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 the most sensible thing to do. No, can I say? no. Can I say? So that that's certainly a worry as well. But you, when you get off to for a food break, you're one of those people that can have a 15 minute nap. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is great. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a great ability. Yeah, to while be able he to do watches that. me. Okay, so tell <laughs> us how people can donate, Declan. Um, so we're set up through um, Everyday Hero. Okay. So if if literally if someone logs into Everyday Hero, um, we've it set up as two two brothers, twelve hundred kilometres and a bit because it's actually twelve hundred and thirty kilometres. Ah, you don't worry about the thirty. When you get to the twelve hundred stage, the thirty won't even factor into it. Um, and of course, like anyone can donate directly to Breakthrough Cancer Research in Cork, and um, also um, my own Facebook page. So um, we haven't set up a separate Facebook page because we didn't want to be trying to uh, to build a Facebook page and, and build, build loads of friends on it. So through my own Facebook, I'd love if people follow us. We'll have a link on it that'll be able to follow us live as well during the event. Okay, and your own Facebook page is? It's just under my name, Declan, Declan O'Hara. O'Hara. Yep. Listen, it's an, it's an incredible challenge that you've both undertaken. We wish you the best of uh, luck with it and we really look forward to hear how you get on with it. But um, thanks a million for joining us and, and talking about it today. Uh, Patricia, thank you so much for having me on. Good really morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Declan O'Hara, their Managing Director of McGilligas in Tralee, but a child of a native, along with his brother Pat O'Hara, the photographer, taking on that incredible cycle. Paris to Brest and back again. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lombardstown Community Council on their Facebook page are rightly acknowledging this day 91 years ago, 30th of July 1928. What happened on this day? Pat O'Callaghan won gold in the men's hammer throw at the Summer Olympics and the Summer Olympics 91 years ago were being held in Amsterdam. It was important because it was the first medal won by an athlete representing Ireland since Ireland gained independence and it was the first time that the Irish tricolour was ever raised at the Olympics and it's been raised a good few times since. would like to think it will be raised many, many more times in the future but today was the first 
time ever that the Irish tricolour was raised at the Olympics. So we remember the late great Pat O'Callaghan on this day, 91 years after he winning a gold. Now, some of your calls coming in. Sheilinda Manway was on to us. This is to do with, she was out and about at the weekend and they had two children with them. They were in the National Park in Killarney. And when they came out of the park, they realised that the children were covered with ticks. She said, I had never seen anything like it. Now, they took the children to the doctor to get them checked over. Now, the doctor said there's nothing that the doctor can do at this stage, but they just need to keep an eye on the children and they're going to need to keep an eye on them for three weeks because that's how long it could take if they are. And please God, they won't have picked up any of the nasty diseases associated with ticks, but it can take three weeks from getting the initial tick bite to actually a dis- to presentation with uh, symptoms from some of the diseases. But Sheila's point was that she's since discovered, obviously, the National Park in Killarney have a lot of deers and deers carry a lot of ticks. And unfortunately, the type of ticks that come off deers are the ones that carry harmful germs. She was saying that there was no signs anywhere in the National Park in Killarney to warn people that if you're visiting, you need to be very careful and if you're lying on the grass. And it was lovely. I mean, I was in Donnera Park, funny coincidentally, that has deer as well on Sunday and it was a lovely day and there were people sitting down, you know, on the grass and lying on the grass and children were rolling around as children do when they're out, when they're out playing. And obviously it was similar scenes were being witnessed at the National Park in Killarney but she just said she the children were destroyed with the amount of ticks that they picked up but she just feels there should be some kind of public warning some signs put up so that people can be aware and I don't know do ticks is it a seasonal thing can you pick up a tick all year round I'm, you know I'm not too sure I know anyone that I've ever seen on TV talk about ticks I mean the, the, most tick bites are not harmful in any way and please God Sheila in the case of the two little children that were with you on Sunday everything will be fine and they won't have picked up anything uh, at all but there are some that can cause a range of diseases including the ticks that are carried by deer and they include Lyme's disease and I think that's the one we all dread and we all think of when we think of a tick bite that goes wrong. And I remember watching a piece on the TV of somebody who'd had Lyme's disease and was offering advice to anybody that would be walking in areas where they're they're known to be ticks. And obviously now, listening to Sheila, the National Park in Killarney seems to have a lot of them. And you just need to keep well covered you know, for children, like make sure they're not running around in the grass with shorts uh, on and long sleeved tops and and just making absolutely sure that any skin that's exposed, that you're not picking up ticks along the way. But it just seem, it seems pretty nasty dose that the two little children with uh, Sheila on Sunday with all of those ticks. Anybody else having problems with ticks at this time? Is it, just, I'm wondering, is it seasonal? Is it this, is it a this time of the year thing? And talking of this time of the year, did you see and hear yesterday that one of London's biggest department store opened its Christmas shop yesterday, 149 days before December the 25th at Selfridges. They have proudly claimed once again to be the first in the world to unveil its festive selection. The company says the launch, which by the way was two days earlier than it was last year. They say it's in response to growing customer demand. Could you? Should you? Would you? 
go into a Christmas shop. The only thing then, when I was thinking about this and I saw this last night and I saw people post it saying, oh, for God's sake, it's the 29th of July. What are they thinking of? But I then started to think, OK, Selfridges, it's in London. London has a lot of tourists around at this time of the year. And certainly I know something, a tradition that I do when I'm away on holidays. If I see anything to do with Christmas or if I see a Christmas shop open. If you're in the States, for example, there's always Christmas shops. If you do Disney or any of those theme parks, they'll always, they have a Christmas shop that's open all year round. I'll always go in in the height of summer in my shorts and t-shirts and I'll buy an item that we bring home and that we put on the Christmas tree. And I like to do that and we've been carrying on certainly since Marcia since we adopted Marcia Marcia came to live with us she has what we call her memory little it's a smaller Christmas tree it's not her main Christmas tree and it's her memory tree and we have when at the time of the adoption we deliberately bought Christmas decorations from Russia that we take out every year and we let her feel them and we talk through with them as best we can and explain that they've come from the country where she was born. And then over the years, as I say, with every holiday, we buy a little thing that we put on the Christmas tree. And as I say, we talk about it and try to build up a little memory tree uh, for her. So I like to do that. So I was wondering, maybe, maybe, is that what Selfridges are thinking about? I mean, I don't know if I would be... If I lived in London, would I be rocking into the shop on the 29th of July to buy my Christmas crackers and my baubles for the Christmas tree if I wanted new baubles? I just don't know. I think it's maybe it's just a tad too early. As I say, they say it's due to customer demand, but I'm wondering, if, could, the customer demand, could the customer demand in any way be, be a tourists? I'm just wondering, is, is that their thinking? 1850-333-103. And Maureen in Clonakilty is looking for advice. She wants to know, is anybody else getting messages from AIR to say that their emails from AIRCOM, AIR, were well, once known as AIRCOM, they're no longer known as AIRCOM, they're known as AIR, to say that the emails from AIRCOM that you can no longer use or receive those emails? Is that the message that Maureen is getting? Now she did and also saying that she had a virus and her virus protection is paid up and up to date and the computer looks fine and she's just fearful that it's a scam. She got another one saying for her to switch to a new version of AIR's email. That sounds a bit... That sounds like something they would do. She tried to ring AIR, but unfortunately she rang at 6.30 in the evening, got no satisfaction from them and she was on hold, pressing one, two and three for ages and she was on on hold for the longest time. But when she said she got no satisfaction, I'm assuming she didn't get through to anyone. I don't know. If, could you tweet them? I don't know if you're into Twitter. Sometimes I find that's it's a really good way now to get through to people. They seem to be even monitoring. I don't know what AIR are like now for monitoring their Twitter account, but if you had somebody... If you don't have access yourself, you might have somebody who have access to Twitter and they could tweet in your question. But anyway, let's give it out and see. Our listeners are always great for helping each other out. Is anybody else? Uh, this is, you're an air, Maureen is an air customer, obviously, and and her emails were with Aircom and now it's air. Anybody getting any kind of messages from air saying that you have to change your email in some way? If you can offer advice so we can point poor Maureen and Clonakilty in the right direction. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. 
the Irish Blood Transfusion Service. They've got donor clinics in the Fergus Hotel in Mitchellstown today between five and half past eight and Wednesday between three and five and again seven to nine tomorrow night. Monster Bingo is at the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway half past eight tonight. Proceeds are in aid of local charities. And the West Cork Mobile Library they're running free Coder Dojo workshops in Roscarbury today. Workshops are free. They're suitable for children aged seven and older. If you'd like more details, 086 And the Fremont Summer Kyoltis Session that runs in Fremont Heritage Centre every Wednesday night for the month of July and August, half past eight start. Well worth a visit with music, song and dance and storytelling to enjoy. Tomorrow night's special guests will be the Castle Magner Singers. And Ballonhassie Community Development Association, they've got a fundraising social dance, Marion Hall on Friday night, dancing to Peter Burke. Teas will be served and dancing gets underway at a quarter to ten. And Durris Craft Market is held every Monday in August, so it'll kick off next Monday at Philip Green's in Durris from 11am to 3pm. As we've been reporting for the last few weeks, for my native Keith Byrne is at the centre of an immigration battle in the United States of America. We have been kept updated by Keith's dad, Jim. But today we get the chance to speak to Keith himself following his temporary re- release last uh, Thursday. Good morning to you, Keith. Good morning. Uh, I suppose firstly the question, how are you doing? I'm doing better, thank you. And how are the children? It must have been very tough on them and very hard for them to understand what was going on. Yes, they're quite young and confused. Uh, They're much happier now that I'm home. (laughs) Because Daddy would have left for work and then suddenly Daddy didn't come home. That's right. And my wife had to tell them after a few days that, you know, the truth. So it was it was tough. And that morning, Keith, when you headed out to work, it was, you know, another very normal morning. It was the last thing, the last thing you were expecting. Absolutely. Uh, Because we've been, you know, fighting so hard for almost 10 years now in court to try to change my status. To be pounced on like that was it was a big shock. Did you think that they had the wrong guy when they stopped you? That's what I told them. I said, you have the wrong guy. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm trying. I'm not hiding on anybody. Like, why, why me? And they told me that I, I took it as far as I could. So. And that's the way they do it. It was, it was nothing like a phone call or we're going to be coming to your house or calling to your house. Right. I mean, that's what we expected like that's what we thought we deserved after being so upfront for the last nine to ten years almost and they were just very cold about it all this is why they're called ice i suppose yeah the name suits for sure and it's because we have heard of people who are completely undercover who are you know the complete undocumented who literally go around constantly looking over their over their shoulder but your case is very different my case is after, yeah, the ripples that this is after creating is unbelievable. Like the support we're getting all over the world is crazy. Yeah, I was low hanging fruit, as my mother in law said. Mm. And, you know, I did deserve a letter, a warrant, a warning, something, not to be, you know, hijacked like that and thrown into prison. Like it was just uncalled for, I, I believe. 
and I mean, like the rest of us, had never been to prison before. Were you treated okay? I've never been to prison before either. And yes, I was treated okay. But, the you know, the whole heartbreak of it all was a hell of an experience for me, my wife, my family, my children, you know, my customers, my friends. It was a big shock. Mm. And the ripples were felt over here as well. There were so many people talking about you and, and, and thinking about you. Now, I know you met with your lawyers yesterday, uh, Keith. That was, I believe, the first opportunity for you to meet with them. What are they saying to you? Well, we're going to sit down again on Wednesday and come up with a plan for going forward. So right now they're just happy that I'm out of prison and we're going to get down to downtown again Wednesday. And you've, so been, no, you've been no given a thirty. You've been given a thirty-day release. Would the plan be to try to get at least an extension on that? Absolutely, yes. That's our goal. And that gives you a bit of wriggle room then for for fighting it. And Michael Kingston, the international lawyer from uh, West Cork, who we've spoken with many times on this program, spoke to us last week about your case and about the letter uh, he sent to you, which I'm sure at this stage you've seen. Um, do all those kind of interventions, do they all help? Of course they do. And my wife and I are so overwhelmed with the support, the help from so many people involved. Like, it's amazing. And, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to every person involved. And you can be very proud of your dad, Jim. He kept us updated. And uh, it's it's tough for your mom and dad and, and your brother and sister. Yeah, I have a big family. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been here for 12 years and I've never left the country. So, you know, I haven't seen my mother and father in 12 years. I've sacrificed quite a lot to be here and to work here. So, yeah, this was a big surprise. And are you now trying to get back to a normal life in that, for example, have you gone back to work? I have not gone back to work yet. I need to speak with my lawyer Wednesday to make sure that I can go back to work. And, you know, I'll take it from there. Okay, yeah, you don't want to do anything that they'll say you shouldn't be doing that. Let's get all the I's dotted and and the T's uh, crossed. Government officials, uh, Keith, a lot of people are asking, what are the government doing for, for Keith? Do you know if there's anything going on, perhaps even behind the scenes? I don't. I wish I did. Um... I don't. I don't know. So again, I'm going to learn more on Wednesday and okay. see what the, the plan is. Okay. Well, listen. Just know that you've been kept in people's thoughts and prayers. Uh, certainly on this side of the Atlantic, we wish you nothing but the, the very best. And uh, please, God, we'll talk again. And, and best wishes to your wife, Karen, and, and to the kids. Uh, Karen has come across as a, a real powerhouse. I mean, it's been so difficult on her, but she's really managing to, or did manage to hold the fort. Yeah. You messed with the wrong woman, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Listen, pass on our best wishes and we'll talk again. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks, Keith. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Keith Byrne joining us from uh, Philadelphia. It's very early in the morning, by the way, so we appreciate uh, Keith getting up to talk to us uh, so early in the morning. 1850-333-103. Uh, uh, John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And I want to put a shout-out 
to see if anybody can help this listener. And I'm sure there's others in the same boat as this uh, female. There's no name on it, but I know it's a female because it's somebody asking about bras and uh, bras, uh, bras for more voluptuous women large sized breasts okay Patricia just a simple question please for all the high street shops why can't I buy a proper support bra size F cup and upwards without it costing me a massive price we are told that we are to change our bras by wearing them every second day and the suggestion is you change them every second day and it prolongs the life of your bra by doing that I didn't know. Is that the recommendation? Anyway, but we simply can't afford to buy them or even can't find a shop selling them. Only big, floppy, heavy ones. We have enough weight to be carrying around without a big, heavy bra, says this unsigned texter. So, OK, it is a shout out to the high street uh, shops, but let's do a shout out as well to others in the same position. People who wear bra size with a cup size F and upwards. A, B, C, D, E, F. Wow. Um, I can't stop my fingers. Um, bra size F and upwards. Where where are you buying your bras from? Any suggestion is where you could buy them reasonably priced without them coming in at a massive price and also good support bras without them being very big, floppy and heavy. If anyone has advice for the listener, please. Maybe some shops. There might be some small shops that stock larger size, cup size bras. Who knows? Anywhere across Cork City and uh, County. Point us in the direction, please. And if there are any... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
any of the buyers from the high street shops, can you get your act together and start sourcing slightly cheaper support bras for the for the larger size lady. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And joining us on this Tuesday afternoon is Joe Heffernan. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Okay, and we are looking today at um, helping people. Oh, no, you want to start with the headline during the week that you saw. My apologies. This is one in four men. Don't reach out when they have suicidal thoughts as they thought that no, they they have no one to trust. Yeah. God, that's a sad statement, isn't it? It is. And some of the statistics on that uh, report uh, done by the Samaritans um, to tie in with their um, uh, launch of Talk to Us um, on the 24th, just a few days ago. Um, Yeah, one in four men in Ireland did not reach out for help when they had suicidal thoughts in the last 12 months because they felt that they had no one to trust. Um, Some of the statistics are indeed startling. Um, 37%, um, no, this is 500 men, 37% would have felt like a burden if they opened up. Um, Now, the participants um, uh, were all aged over 18. Um, Six out of 10 men, 60%, did not seek help preferring to try and solve the problem themselves. And more than three in ten, 36% of the men surveyed, said that they often feel alone, with 28% saying that loneliness and isolation had made them feel low in the past. So um, men, in fact, according to the survey, remain four times more likely to take their own lives than women. See, women, and straight away you can you can see why there. Women will, not in every case, but certainly more than men, will all know someone. We all have somebody, females, we'll all know somebody that we can reach out and talk to and we'll be more likely to talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a fact. I, I think that men, uh, to a great degree, are, you know, feel that they should um, you know, kind of a word we should be avoiding, um, that they should um, sort it out themselves. Uh, and, and, and as that's the other um, startling revelation said, like, they'd feel if they were sharing that they were being a burden, you mm-hmm. know, that they were kind of um, uh, ru- ru- ruining, ruining the party, as it were, or, or so, something in that line. I'm probably not putting it extremely and, well and with and that. But, but it talks, you know, they talk about feeling isolated at, yeah. at, um, and that sense of loneliness that made them feel low. Isn't that one of the main reasons that the men's shed was started up? Was for that Was for that very reason, to get people out of that sense yeah. of isolation. and a wonderful idea. Because while in a way, technologically, we were never more connected in, in the world, um, we were... We, we were never less connected when it comes to actual living, talking, other people. Um, you know, uh, we have instant information. Um, somebody falls in outer Kyrgyzstan and uh, we, we, we have it on our phones um, uh, in, in, in minutes flat. Um, but 
when did we last have a good old heart-to-heart talk um, with with a friend? Um, is friendship collapsing? Um, are we all becoming just that little bit more isolated? Uh, I, I find that, that um, you know, uh, work tends to do that, that you can't, um, you know, at the drop of a hat say, yeah, yeah, I'll meet up, um, that you'd be kind of saying, well, look, I'll find a day in the diary, and uh, and the other person might say, oh, for God's sake, you know. But then again, I mean, if you've an appointment made with someone on whatever next Friday, um, you know, you can suddenly decide, yeah, we'll go away for the day. Um, so the, 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 I I I think work um, can cause isolation, as well as so many other um, factors, you know. But the thing is, like that. There were 437 deaths by suicide oh, no, in 2016. Now, 350 of them were men. Yeah. Um, much higher proportion of males yeah. uh, versus suicide. I'm just, and it's the knock-on effect of, I mean, firstly, there's a life lost, but it's the ripple effect of the people left behind from those it's 437. It's a good way to, put it to say the ripple effect, yeah. yeah. It's like if you throw a, um, um, a hefty stone into a very still lake, um, there'll be the splash, then there'll be the, the first ring of ripples and the second and the third and the fourth. So many people affected Absolutely. by... Absolutely. And that's why the Samaritans, using all of these stats and, and figures... They used it to launch their uh, Talk to Us campaign. Obviously, people are being encouraged uh, to talk to the, to the Samaritans, but it's also a good way to get people to talk to each other, to get to try to get people to connect. Yeah, I think once one has broken the ice, and um, of course the Samaritans are and always have been um, in our memory um, brilliant. And, you know, there's a 1-800 number, 116-123, there's a there's a an 087 mobile number that can be texted, and there's an email. It's joe at samaritans.ie. Now it's J O without the E. Obviously, that's the female version of Joe. Uh, J O Joe at samaritans.ie. Um, and um, and of course, it does need to be pointed out that not everyone who contacts the Samaritans or any of their services um, are suicidal. Actually, the majority of callers are not. Oh, no, it's usually everyday worries and anxieties. Um, and, you know, just get an urge to talk to someone um, about um, this, that or the other thing. I, I would say the vast majority of people who ring the Samaritans are not suicidal. But um, uh, just want to talk about you know, something that's worrying them, whether it's a family issue, whether it's uh, a financial thing, um, you know. And uh, now the Samaritans is a listening organization. They don't offer um, solutions. And um, we'll we'll come to it a little bit later, too, about um, what they suggest. It's a thing called, it's the opposite of talking. It's called shush. You know the way you'd say to a child, shush up now, shush. Uh, shush. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I suppose that's got something to do with shush. I'm listening to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we. It, it's it, the letters um, are just um, uh, an acronym for um, for what they suggest. S is show you care, focus on the other person, make eye contact. D- don't be consulting your phone while the person is opening. 
uh, his or her heart uh, to you and to have patience. Um, you know, the person might tell you half a story and maybe they're not ready to tell you the other half of the story just yet and to accept that and to use open questions. Like, often a pe- person would say, what's meant by an open question? I'll just give a very simple little example. If you say to a person, so are you angry? They can say, yeah, or they can say, no. Mm. And and that, that kind of stops that conversation. Whereas if you say, um, how do you feel? Well, then the person, you know, that doesn't uh, ask for a yes or no answer. It encourages the person to talk. And to explain how they feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And then to kind of um, to reflect back what you've heard, to check that you've understood, you know, something like, all right, so on, on last Wednesday, you, you felt particularly um, upset about things. And that shows the person that, um, that you are paying attention and uh, therefore that, that you care, um, you know, and that the person is right to have trusted you with the um, with, with, with what the person is telling you. And the last one then, S-H-U-S-H again, have courage, have courage. Don't be put off by a negative response. And another thing is, don't be afraid of silences. That's one of the things in this line of work like that we learn in training, is that um, if there's a silence, to try and be comfortable with it, to allow the silence, you know, that that one doesn't necessarily have to come in with something, to say something. To just sit with the silence and um, the other person will come to what they uh, decide to say in their own time. Um, and, and, uh, and, and another very important thing, like, is not to offer solutions. Um, I mean, I, I think really the last thing a person um, uh, wants to hear when they're just feeling down would be, um, I know what you should do. Here's what you should do now. Um, I don't know. I mean, m- most people don't want that. That kind of, the old heart sinks a small bit, I think, wh- when you hear that. Um, uh, do uh, most people have the solution themselves? They just don't know it. Well, that's true. And in this line of work, like, what, 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 you, what, what you try to do is not to provide your answers, but to facilitate the other person to find uh, his or her yeah. answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's absolutely true, Patricia. So that's why be with the person and be patient and let them come up with the solution at their own pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. OK, but keep an eye on, on your men folk, I suppose, is what the message coming out from the Samaritans. Yeah, and I would hope as well that even though the statistics there are, you know, that, that, that this wouldn't be a sort of a downer for someone listening to it, because the results also found that 76% of men surveyed admit uh, that it's OK to admit that you're not feeling OK. Um, so, I mean, that, that's... Um, that's a step in the right direction. And I suppose the, the, the fact that that's on our daily newspapers and notifications and all that, and, and that, you know, this very program itself uh, means that, you know, one would be hoping that there'd be a, a, a better, a bigger awareness 
that um, it's okay not, not to, to be okay. okay. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about young people in depression. I know it got kicked off with young females, but it could equally about be about uh, young uh, men and what can cause depression. That's where we left it last week when we were talking about it. We have the leaving cert results probably about two oh, weeks yeah. uh, away. That will cause a lot of stress and anxiety, oh, won't big it? Big time, big time. I mean, I was talking to a young man a couple of, I think it was a couple of months ago, and, you know, he would have said to me, um, the biggest thing now in my life is that I'll get the points for my chosen uh, course uh, at third level. Now, there you are. The biggest thing in my life. And um, so, yeah, there's huge academic anxiety. And then on behalf of parents, there's kind of financial anxiety and everything else, because... I, I, I mean, uh, I, I, when a young person now gets a place in college, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, my God, where are they going to stay? Um, obviously, that's a, an anxiety that isn't present for people living near the uh, college. But for people um, in rural Ireland, it's huge. And... Um, you know, um, there'll be an awful lot of shoe leather now worn out around the streets of Cork, Dublin, Limerick, Galway um, in the next month um, trying to get a place. And it might be, it might not be a bad time to say a watch out for scams. We did, an, we did an interview about it only the other day. Oh, right. And particularly for first years, they, they have a tendency to, first years have a tendency to panic. And there's loads of scams, so you, so you do need to be careful. But if young people are feeling down and it is more than just somebody getting anxious about the, the result, antidepressants, and that's your first port of call is your doctor. Oh, totally. Um, in all of the, these cases, and as we've said, and as you pointed out, for the last 20 years, <laughs> we would have said first port of call, the GP. And then, and our counselling? Yeah, and, and more and more now GPs are referring people to um, people in, in my own line of work. Uh, as I often say, um, you know, uh, GPs can spend an hour with each patient. Um, it just isn't practical with 20 other people outside in the waiting room. So um, people in my own line of work, we, um, you know, uh, sessions are usually one hour. And, you know, and with the training and asking the right questions, really, um, you know, that can prove to be extremely helpful. Um, Some people would say would be all for medication and no talk therapy. Other people would be all talk therapy and uh, no medication. Very often what works best of all, very often, not always, um, would be a combination of the two. Um, That a person could have been prescribed... um, uh, maybe an antidepressant, and that they would come and talk um, uh, as well. Yeah, that that mm. can work. And you always have good suggestions for self-help strategies and self-help books. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the four now that come to mind um, talking about depression would be, I suppose the top one would be Overcoming Depression by a person called Paul Gilbert. Just simply Overcoming Depression, Paul Gilbert. Um Depression, the common sense approach, Tony Bates. Um, A Day Called Hope by Gareth O'Callaghan. Um, I think uh, Gareth, uh, uh, w- w- um, 
on on radio. Um, well known radio presenter. We, sp- we spoke with him actually about the book. He's, and he's a really great advocate for people suffering from depression. Yeah. And then how the light gets in. Mary uh, McAvoy. Ma- Mary McAvoy. And I saw... Um, I saw a very helpful article, uh, uh, really helpful, um, by um, uh, a C103 presenter um, on the front page of the Cockman not too awfully terribly long ago. What was that? Uh, John Green. Oh, of course, yeah. John opened up, yeah, about yeah. his own battle with depression, yeah. yeah. Which and is that, so helpful. And it does help, doesn't it? When, you know, because I remember when I, when I read Mary McAvoy's yeah. Uh, book. Um, you know, and everybody would know Mary McAvoy and you think, God, I never knew that she was battling with depression. Gareth O'Callaghan was somebody that I was blown away by because I used to yeah. listen to him on radio and, and he was always so upbeat and so you think he would never suffer with depression. And our own John Green the same way. How people yeah. can hide it yeah. is incredible. Yeah, kind of like um, all chipper and all, um, all go and uh, all, you know, doing the job beautifully on radio. And then the minute the line goes dead, the minute the um, the uh, the program is over, kind of um, bang yeah. down bathroom tears. Yeah, and Gareth O'Callum, bless his heart, he's battling um, MS, isn't he? As well, he got a diagnosis of that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I'm um, sorry to yeah, hear that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's 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 got his own battles, uh, physical battles uh, as well. Okay, next week I promise we will do the piece of a loved one is uh, who is depressed yeah. and how we can cope and how we can help. Listen, have a great week, and we will speak to you uh, next Tuesday. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Absolutely. Thanks Thank for you that. Very much. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, and uh, Joe can be contacted. He runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. O two nine seven six six one seven. If you want to contact a uh, Joe. Uh, a number of people on about the bras when I mentioned the bra from the listener who is looking for a bra bra for a more voluptuous woman. It is support a proper support bra with cup size F was what she was looking uh, at. Uh, some hi Patricia. I have a cup size thirty six double G. Uh, says Pam and the place to go is Marks and Spencers that's where you can get them and, and, and are they reasonably priced and are they always available because I think the listener that contacted us is it was the cost and not having them readily uh, available so I don't know what they cost in Marks and Spencers but Pam reckons that that, that is the place to go and Fiona's Fashions in Skibbereen says another uh, texture, large size bras available there. Fiona's Fashions in Skibbery. That's what I was hoping that, well, you know, the high street shops are fantastic. I was hoping that we might hear from some of the smaller shops that might have them as well. So there's one. Somebody else says, Patricia, tell that lady to go into Debenhams. I'm a size H. That's, and that's above F. Uh, it costs €40. Euro. That's a reasonable price for a good, decent sized support bra, says a texter or a listener or somebody we can jump all didn't get a name on that. And Kathleen in Skibbereen says, I'm looking for, I've got the opposite problem, says Kathleen in Skibbereen. I'm looking for a bra for the smaller woman. I'm 42, but I just need an A cup. Oh, does anybody know anybody selling those? That's the opposite side of the coin, broad across the back but a small cup size. Anybody spotted that in your travels? And then we really are into bras today because somebody else says, Patricia, could you tell me where I can get strapless bras? I'm, I know, I don't know what's the problem in finding strapless bras. If you go into any of the high street shops, you'll be able to get a strapless bra. And I'm, I imagine even any of the smaller boutiques and the ladies' stores, 
that are selling bras will do strapless ones because most of them you could just take off the you know the straps pop off off them so I don't know why is it a particular size that you're having a problem uh, with I'm I'm really am surprised uh, to hear that if you want to give us more information we won't get to it today uh, we're going to have to leave it and we will get to it tomorrow but if you want to get in more information on that uh, please do and Sean Murray in Skibbereen that's the place to go for the brass <laughs> I should have thought of Sean Murray Sean was the guy wasn't it who did the remember he set the record for opening the biggest number of brass he did it for charity he did it for breast cancer charity didn't he it was, it was fantastic and a great bit of, of a giggle and that's a great shop in Skibbereen where you'll be able to get a, a nice uh, bra and in all shapes and uh, sizes thank you for that somebody uh, texting that in to 086 103. that's where we have to leave you for today uh, my thanks to everybody who contributed to the programme and to John Paul they were busy on the phone so apologies if we didn't get uh, through to you we'll be back with you though tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and until tomorrow at 10 I'm Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon C103 Anthems The biggest songs of all time. C103 Anthems. Songs that continue to inspire generations. Songs that continue to inspire generations. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's Greatest Hits. C103. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.